वक्रतुंड महाकाय सूर्यकोटिसमप्रभा निर्विघ्न कुर मे दर्वकारेशुर्वदुभ्यो नम श्री सद्गुरुभ्यो नम वी आर कंटिन्यूइंग आर एक्सप्लोरेशन ऑफ द नाइन फॉर्म्स ऑफ डिवोशन एंड दे आर श्रवणम कीर्तनम विष्णु स्मरण पाद सेवनम अर्चनम वंदनम दास्यम सख्यम आत्मा निवेदनम इन इन द एक्सप्लोरेशन ऑफ द नाइन फॉर्म्स ऑफ डिवोशन दीज नाइन फॉर्म्स ऑफ डिवोशन आर मेथड्स आर एन एक्टिविटी टू बी डन बाय द बॉडी एंड द माइंड एज वी मेंशनड yesterday they are activity oriented to be done listening to the scriptures paying attention to the points being made doing bhajan kirtan shri ram jay ram jay jay ram or whatever the mantra might be mantra bhajan kirtan the bhav that is within the kirtana chanting the holy names and the transcendental pastimes pastimes are leelas all of that is done with the attitude and with the understanding and belief that there is god bhagwan is there and as i mentioned yesterday just as a quick review the concept of god has to be in the mind for devotion to be if the concept of a transcendental being beyond me beyond the intrapsychic psychological me if that is not there then bhakti as such cannot happen maybe you can define bhakti in a different way and that's a different matter but bhakti hap can occur when there is a belief that there is parmatma beyond me who would do not know who i cannot see but is present in the form in the murti as an archa so there is that faith that in the form there is bhagwan another way to also think of the presence of god is to say god is everywhere that is another way to approach this but the navda bhakti specifically is towards the form of god and within and within and within and within the within the form of god the devotee believes that everything exists in that form millions of universes all of creation all devotees all people all beings everything exists everything exists within the swarupa of the parmatma that belief is called swarupanishta the word nishta means belief the word nishaya means conviction the one is convinced that that god is there that is called nishaya and nishta is a belief that god is there now how the belief develops is something that we will go into today how does belief develop first of all let's be clear that belief is a developed cultivated phenomena it is conceptual it is mental and psychological so for example 
if somebody tells me Sachin you go and you go to Nevada and there is the Grand Canyon there you believe and I'm telling somebody describes it for me so I form a belief an image an idea so the image the idea the concept is in my mind but that's not the real thing the real thing is if I go there I have I have to actually drive there or fly there or take a bus or whatever Oh, 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 it looks like I was on mute there. Okay, so let me start this uh, uh, point again. Uh, yes. Vakaratunda Mahakaya, Surya Koti Samaprabha, Nirvignam Kurume Deva, Sarva Karaja Sarvada. So what I was mentioning here was that the nine forms of devotion that we have been contemplating on, these nine forms of devotion are a matter of belief. Shraddha, Nishta. So when... Shraddha comes about when Nishta comes about. Nishta meaning a sense of relying on God. That one relies on God like a child who relies on the mother. You know, that feeling of being a child at the feet of God is a tremendous thing. It's not an ordinary thing. See, that is how the ego, human ego transforms. The transformation of the human ego is it can occur in the nine forms of devotion by recognizing or, or excuse me by feeling that there is God and I am just a small dust particle at the feet of God Dasatva Bhakti Dasyam that is one of the nine forms that development of Bhakti see Bhakti is developed cultivated it is something that is a psychological quality. It is a psychological quality because it is something that, is, that comes from tradition, from family tradition, from societal tradition. And then the sense occurs that there is Paramatma in, is a manifestation of Sri Ram, Sri Krishna, Shiva or any of the Sadhgurus. And with that belief, with that belief, that belief is formed. Now, here's the tricky part in some sense. Is that formation of the belief, is that something that is an artificial phenomena that the mind has created and that is mind is creating God within? Is that what's going on? We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Well, I'll give you my perspective on this and it is my uh, humble prayer to anybody listening to this is to carefully think about this, go into it and share your own perspective or develop your own perspective. My intention is not to convince anybody one way or the other. Anybody can go their own way. That is their choice. But I'm trying to present it objectively. There are those who will say that believing in God, worshipping God, serving God and doing all this thing is a fabrication of the mind. Mind has generated fake things that don't exist. Images and everything else is just stored inside the mind and it's just all fake and it's just meaningless and whatnot. So there are those who believe this. There are those who propound that way. Is that true? 
can that be true? Look at the history of the world. There have been so many cultures and traditions. Some of them are not there, like the Greek gods and goddesses. Nobody worships them today, as far as I know. They're, the whole worship of the Greek gods and goddesses is gone. Does that mean that it was fabricated? Does that mean it was a delusion of some sort? It could be. You have to keep an open mind. But now, as far as what we call the Sanatana Dharma, my perspective on the Sanatana Dharma, the nine forms of devotion, the whole process of Bhakti shown or the incarnations of Sri Krishna, Sri Ram, Bhagwan Shiv, or Sri Ganesha, or any of the gurus that have come, the approach in the Sanatana Dharma, what we call Hinduism, the approach is experiential and experimental. Please try to keep this in mind and see what you think. The approach is experimental and the approach is experiential. Actually, that is how the rishis or the inner scientists that are called the rishis, that's how they taught. So this nine forms of devotion is an experiment. It is an inner science experiment. It is not simply believing something in tradition and fabricating God in the mind and all that. That's not what it is. If you do it that way, then that's what it will be. But if you do it as an experiment, you have an open attitude and an experimental attitude. Let's see what happens. For example, if you take the name Ram. Ram is a Bij Mantra. It's a sound after all. So let's say I don't know anything about Ram. But I want to experiment with this mantra. You know, people experiment with drugs. They experiment with alcohol. They experiment with gambling. They experiment with sex. They experiment with all kinds of different foods and all. And I'm using the word experiment because they're trying. Somebody says to me, hey Sachin, try this nice different kind of dark chocolate or white chocolate. Oh, I never had that before. Let me experience it. Oh, okay, this is nice. I say I like it or I don't like it or whatever. It's experience that is what, what we do in the material world. <clears throat> Similarly, <clears throat> the Sanatana Dharma is not a matter of belief as many think it is. Belief may come. I'll talk about that a little bit later. It is a matter of experimentation. So take the name Ram. We say Ram. Do meditation on this and see what happens. See what occurs within. How does the body change? Mind change? Is there something that happens? Maybe nothing will happen. Maybe something extraordinary will happen. We don't know. You have to experiment. And then at the same time, let's go, let's just take Bhagwan Ram or Sri Ram as an example. We see his life. We read the Ramayana. Tulsi Ramayana, Valmiki Ramayana. We read that. When we read that, we know something about that king who came, that King Rama. We know something about his life. What is our experience in that story? What is the story teaching about life and about me and about my relationships and what, how is it applicable today? I can gain something meaningful in my life right now from the Ramayana. 
It's not, it's not, yeah, it, some people say it's mythology. Even if it is mythology, even if it is totally fabricated, but there is something important in there that we can take. So, so in that sense, there's benefit. If it is not fabricated, if there was actually a person that is Rama and he had actually existed and lived the life he did and all of that, all right, so what? How does that impact my life? You know, so what if there's Rama in the past? What difference does it make? Well, it makes a lot of difference. <clears throat> it makes a difference if I can be benefited from the life and teachings and vision of Shri Ram. If I, if I cannot bring inside of me, okay, uh, or I'll put it this way. When I read the story of Ramayana, when I read his composure, his stability, his qualities, his life and his vision, three things. If, if Sachin can see this world outside and his life through the eyes of Rama, then that is Ramayana. Then I become Ramayana. I become, I'm connected with the essence of what is Rama. And in doing that, devotion may come about. You know, people use the word bhakti lightly. I don't want to use that word at all lightly. It is not a word to be used lightly. Bhakti is not something that just some someday just sprouts up like that. It doesn't happen like that. If I am going to be a bhakta of Sri Ram, that's a very different dimension compared to simply believing in Ram and blindly following something because of tradition. So let's go through it again a little bit carefully. Let's go through a little bit further now. I see the life of Rama. I see his composure, his love, his equanimity, the qualities. What happens inside of me? <clears throat> Generally what happens for most people, they say, oh, those are great qualities. Very nice divine qualities, great human quality, whatever. So what? See, he had them. What about me and you? This is the biggest problem and this is where bhakti actually closes this gap. Bhakti is the adoration of the quality that is inside Sri Rama. And so when we take the name Ram, that is a sound vibration that resonates in all nine chakras. That's the mysticism behind it. But that's a matter of experience. It's a matter of anubhav and experience to sit with the mantra. Because it is a sound. The, the name Rama is not just a name of that person who was born in Ayodhya. It is actually a sound vibration that has tremendous impact on the body and the mind. And the proof of that is Valmiki himself. Naraji, who is a sage, came to Valmiki, who was a thief. I don't know what his previous name, maybe his name was Valmiki actually, or Valmik or something like that. He was a thief. He was, a, he was stealing and doing all, you know, he was deeply absorbed in that. And <clears throat> Naraji knew th that this being has a lot of activated energy, but it's all going in harmful, uh, uh, negative direction, but the energy is activated. He knew that. Naraji knew that Rama's 
I'm sorry, Narada Ji knew that Valmiki, he, he, he has a lot of power, but it's all being damaged and destroyed. <clears throat> so Narada Ji said to him, you take the name of Ram. Start chanting Ram. He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to chant it the other way, Mara. We know this story. So he, because his mind was functioning in different direction. So Naraji also knew that that's going to happen. And it, that happened. And by chanting Ram backwards, it still becomes Ram. And that sound vibration took a thief, a decoit person, who was a terror in the society. And he became Valmiki Rishi and wrote the Valmiki Ramayana, which is considered to be one of the most extraordinary Sanskrit works in the whole history of Sanatana Dharma. From this one sound of Ram. This is called experimentation, not belief. This is the difference between the thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who are ritualistically taking the name of Ram or, or taking the name or, or reading the Ramayana or just fascinated by all the stories and all that versus actually diving into the oceanic consciousness that is Ram. <clears throat> the diving into the Swarupa of Ram is the most extraordinary thing. That is what bhakti is all about. Bhakti comes into play. Bhakti opens up when there is the glory of the teachings, the vision, and the life of Sri Ram. Then they say, oh, I want to be devoted to Ram. That's a different matter. Then there's an image, murti, people do the arti, then there are, there's a Ramayana that is done. There's a whole, whole set of rituals, and all these nine forms of devotion become relevant. Kirtan is done, Smaranam is done, done, Dasyam, Vandanam, everything. That is the birth of Bhakti. Bhakti is something that is born. It is given birth. And that is grace of God. Now, yesterday I had mentioned about, uh, you know, the the whole idea that that um, we begin to experience divine realities it's something different experiences there if take the like, like Bhagwan Ram if somebody's worshiping Ram you're going to start seeing Rama in the dreams and thinking about that we live in that world that world is at the level of the Antakarana and but the Antakarana can evolve further that's the mysticism into the Anubhav level as I mentioned last time We'll talk more about this in some other recording because this is a very profound subject. I need three, four hours to talk about that uh, in some more detail. But for now, what we can simply say is that the mind is going to gain health by the Vedic mantras, by the Puranic mantras. See, the Vedic mantras are there, Puranic mantras are, mantras are there. These are good things for the mind to integrate the mind, like in the case of Valmiki who was a thief and decoit and stealing and doing all these terrible things, his mind transformed from the sound of Rama. And then he became aware of who Rama was and then he wrote the tremendous story in Sanskrit. He learned Sanskrit. So many things happened from that. The transformation happened. 
So that transformation is where bhakti comes about. And when, when bhakti comes, emotion becomes divine emotion. Normal emotion, normal human emotion takes a dimensional jump into love. Pure, undisturbed love. It actually transforms into that. That is the, the nine forms of devotion are really about cleaning up the internal system. It's a, it's a drain of ignorance, drain of negativity, cleaning up the intrapsychic conflicts and making the mind very pristine, clear, pure, stable and filled with, filled with the light of the Atma. The Antakarana becomes clean. Antakaran is man buddhi Simple way of putting it, our mind becomes clean, clean mind. Jesus said in the Bible, he said, the pure at heart shall see God. Now what is that purity and what is contamination? So nine forms of devotion are specifically present, are specifically present to purify the system. Just as in the, in the physiology of the body, Purification is required. Purification is required in the physiology of the body so that our blood becomes pure. For example, if somebody has kidney disease and they, and, and they have to go for the dialysis, the blood has to be purified and re-entered in, inside the body. Similarly, the nine forms of devotion through the devotional process of, of the divine, I'm sorry, through the devotional activation of emotion. Emotion takes a jump into divine emotion. That divine emotion, once it begins to open up, it purifies the antakarana. The antakarana is man buddhi chit ahankar. This is the internal instrument. The antakarana means the internal instrument. Karana means instrument. Anta means inner instrument. And it is a mechanism that has gotten clogged by all kinds of impurities worries, tensions, problems, all kinds of mixed memories and images, it has become clogged by that. It is a, the mechanism has become clogged. That is why humanity suffers physically and psychologically and relationally and sociologically and in every way. So the nine forms of devotion is an unclogging process. It will unclog the mind. Listening to the glories of God. Kirtanam, the bhajan kirtan is beautiful. You know, when we do bhajan kirtan, we are in it. And then, and then smaranam, the remembering the, the teachings and ideas and glories. See, what, is, what do we remember? <coughs> we tend to remember our past most of the time. And we are worried about the future. We're thinking about this or that. Yes, to some extent, we have to do that. But to, if the mind is taken to the point where it begins to contemplate on the divine ideas, it, that contemplation is purifying. So each of these is a powerhouse. All nine is an atomic bomb that is going to absolutely destroy the cloggage inside, the clogging inside the mind which we cannot perceive. You know, we, we accept that conditioning and clogging and the problems as the status quo. We accept that that's what life is and we, the problems are just always there. And in, from my perspective, in my mind, I challenge that 100%. I don't believe that for, one, for even one second. 
we don't need to necessarily have that cloggage with us. We don't need to need to have that clogging in that in that uh, internal blockage inside. That is called granthi. And that is the source, the, the internal knots are called granthis, and they funnel energy, damage energy, and damage the body and the mind. So we don't want that damage. So this is a medicine. Now I'm introducing the third word here, experimentation, experience, experiential approach, and medicinal approach. Can we... How many people actually think about going to any Hindu temple or church or mosque or Gurudwara and they go in there to do one of these nine forms of devotion or, or, or multiple one and think of it as a treatment for the mind? Who thinks of it that way? I, I want to know. I wonder if anybody does. We, th we think of going to a medical office as a treatment. We think of going to a psychologist as a treatment or a psychiatrist as a treatment. We think of going to a specialist as a treatment. But do we think about going into a temple or going into a gurudwara or going into a mosque or going into a church or, 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 a, or, or, a, or even a Jewish temple or any holy place? Do we think of that as a treatment for the mind? And that's the point that I would like to present. That this is a treatment for the mind. The nine forms of devotion are a massive treatment for the mind and the body because of the power that oh, it awakens. It awakens within us the healing power that is already dormant within us. There is the concept of the inner pharmacy. So there's a lot of power already within us, a lot of energy, chemicals, everything is there. It is a resetting. So when Ved Vyasji is talking about these nine forms of devotion in the Srimad Bhagavatam, he is giving a path to balance the mind and heal the mind and the body in so many ways. And beyond that, connect the Jivatma with the Paramatma. How is that to be? There has to be a connection. For example, if I have an electrical outlet in my, in my house here, that is the connection between the generating station, the nuclear power plant or wherever the energy is generated, and the thing that I'm connecting, like a light bulb. I have to have a connection, a connector. The nine forms of devotion are a connector between the jiva and the energy within the jiva and the paramatma. And then that's the oneness. That is the tenth devotion called Prem Lakshana Bhakti. Prem Lakshana Bhakti is that non-directional, non-fragmented love that is also talked about by the great Acharyas. And there is such a state, and, and it's possible. When one is in such a tremendous state, one is within bhakti, not doing bhakti anymore. Actually, the nine forms of devotion may be done externally for the benefit of others. But when one is actually within the tenth form, one could be anywhere, in any situation, at any time. Everything is a temple. Everywhere is a temple. You are the temple. You are the Atma, you are the Bhakta, the God is within you, everything is inside and outside. There is no coming and going. My goodness, what a state that would be. There is no coming and going. That is a state of a Jivan Mukta, an enlightened being that is just flowing 
with love in every direction. Everywhere he sees, he sees God. Everywhere he sees, there is love. He doesn't see the distortion of the sunset. I mean, he realizes, he or she realizes the distortion of the sunset, is not caught in that and sees the essence behind it, that is the Paramatma. There's a beautiful shlok actually in the Bhagavad Gita. Bahunam janmanam mante gnanavanam prapadyate vasudeva sarvamiti samahatma sudurlabha That at the end of millions of lives, this realization comes that Vasudeva Saramiti, that there's love everywhere, God is present everywhere, everywhere and everything, that tremendous realization opens up. But as a sadhana, here's my contention, and I'm using the word I or mine just for language purposes, it's nothing to do with Sachin or you know, the individualized being. It is possible to turn that around. Why not start with God is everywhere? Start with there's only love then the nine forms of devotion will follow you. You don't have to do them, they just occur. That is the difference between bhakti erupting from the system versus one doing bhakti. That is the difference between one being bhakti versus one doing bhakti. That is the difference between what is called swarup nishta and swarup sakshatkar. Nishta is belief. Sakshatkar is realization. It's extraordinary. So we'll stop this here for today.